You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Welcome. How you guys doing today? That's it? How you guys doing today? Hey! All right, all right, all right, all right. I know it's cold. Like, it's like, I don't know what it is about when I preach. It has to be like the coldest times ever in Dallas. I don't know what's up with that. But uh, it is what it is, so we'll have some fun today. All right, so uh, we're going to get into Philippians here in a little bit. If, a little bit, if you don't mind. And uh, um, we've been talking a lot in youth about Philippians. Just so you know, this is a, a, a subject we've been talking about. We've been going through the book of Philippians. And, and man, I will tell you, Philippians is quickly becoming my favorite book of the Bible. Um, I do that every time I get into a book, it becomes my favorite book. But this is just amazing. Um, we've been telling the, the kids and, and the youth that this right here is, there's so much here. And, and the fact that we just carry it around every now and then, or we bring it on Sundays, or we get into it on Wednesdays, that's not good enough. This book is just full of so many stories and so many things about how God interacts with his people and guidance and what to do and, and when to do it. You know, it's it's not a history book. It's not a reference book. But, man, it's a book of God. And, and if you want to know how God speaks and how God works and, and how God interacts in your life, this book tells you that. And, and, and we've been talking about how, how do you hear God? And, and, and the way you hear God is you become familiar with his voice. Because God is talking to you, but we're just not always familiar with what he sounds like. And, and this book teaches us what God sounds like and what kind of things God says. So when he speaks, we know. And, and I think the book's going to say some awesome things today uh, that, that have not just been fun to preach, but for me, have, have literally been taking, that's a, I just stole that literally from Ted. Um, I have to say it, it like phonetically, literally. That's how Ted, like every, every little word in there, every little letter. So, uh, but it has been changing my life. I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but when pastors are studying, they're also getting sculpted by God. Uh, I, I feel that way. Uh, the, the very stuff I'm preaching is just overflowing out of my own life. So go with me on the ride today, and I think you'll like it. Um, what I feel, I'm going to get two stools here because this is driving me crazy. All right, so um, here's how I feel about Philippians, okay? When I, any guys ever live in Arizona? Anybody ever been there? What do you know about Arizona? It's hot, okay? It's not only hot, it's dry. So it took me a little bit to adjust here. I remember when I would be working, uh, I, I ran a little yard business when I was in high school, uh, mowing lawns. That's how I made money. My parents would let me work, but they would let me mow lawns. I still don't understand that. But uh, you would get so hot that you would like just take your shirt and you would run it under a, a faucet, anything with water, and you would you would just put it over your head and you would just wring it out. And you would just wring out like every last cold, satisfying drop. And uh, you were probably thirsty enough at that point that you didn't care. You'd put some of it in your mouth. It, it was sweat laden. It didn't matter. All right, uh, just maybe it's just me. I did that. I don't know. I was thirsty. So uh, you would, but you would, I mean, you would just wring that out. And, and I can remember times when I had drank, I, I would bring gallons of water with me in Arizona, and it would just sweat out of you and be gone within like two seconds as soon as you stepped outside into the 8 billion degree heat, right? And I would just wring every little drop I could get out of that, prolonging like my moment of not working and cooling off at the same time. And, and I feel like that's how Philippians is, that if you took the Bible and you just wrung it out, every last drop of it, just squeezed it, 
that you would get the gist of what the Bible was out. It just, it just overflows with what I think Jesus has for us as mature Christians. You guys with me? I mean, literally, you can just bring this thing out and you can, and you can get a, a real good feel for what Christ wants of us and, and what Paul is going to encourage us in. So I want to start by reading uh, in Philippians 3. Flip your book open if you got it. If you got a phone, feel free to like dial it in to Philippians 1. Okay. In the third verse, the first two verses are just Paul greeting like he usually does. But then in the third verse, he kills us. Uh, he just comes right at it with this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayers with joys, because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day Christ, uh, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What an amazing way to start a letter to a group of people. Okay, there is so much in this little paragraph right here. It just, it just, oh, my mind just explodes with it. Okay, you got to understand a couple things. We're going to talk about a couple things and we're going to get into this a little deeper. I want you to know a little bit about the history of Philippians. We need to know some things about Philippians and then I want to tell you some things you should be getting out of this. Uh, Here's what we already know about Philippians. We know that the the book was written by Paul. Uh, Paul, the greatest missionary, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament an amazing man of God. Uh, This letter is very, very unique and very special. It's the only letter Paul writes in the New Testament that has no criticism for the people he's writing to. No direction, no fix this, no you're doing this wrong. It's purely and totally an encouragement to a church that Paul dearly, dearly loves. I think as we look at this, we get a view of what a maturing church looks like. They're not perfect, they don't have it all figured out, but they're doing the right things. And it's the only letter like this in the New Testament from Paul. Um, Paul loves this church, and we're going to get into that. Paul, this is the church when Paul would come back to, I think he would want to come back to this church. If I ever went on a missionary trip, I would yearn and long to come back here. This is my home. This is uh, the people that are here I love. I think about how they're growing and, and the investment that God has allowed me to be a part of in their lives. And I just would not be able to wait until I got back here. I'd be calling people. I would be writing letters. I'd be saying, hey, you would not believe what's going on. What's going on there? And then the people would write back to me and say, man, there's some amazing stuff. And it would be encouraging to know that the people that we worked with were growing. And that's where Paul is right now when he writes this letter. Now, the the cool part about this is you read through Philippians is you have to remember that Paul is in prison. In this very moment while he writes this letter, he is in prison. We believe in Rome, and he probably is going to die. Um, He's not going to get let out of prison. They're going to kill him. This is one of the last times he gets to talk to these people from letters that we know of. Um, And when you hear Paul's voice and Paul's thoughts in Philippians, and you understand that this whole time he's in prison writing it, it just, 
puts a whole different perspective on the attitude of encouragement that that Paul gives to us here. Um, Now, here's some things I want you to know uh, that you might not get right away. You have to know that Paul started this church. Paul started this church on one of his missionary trips. Um, That Paul himself draws encouragement from these people. The very fact that he's in jail. Right now, there's at least one man with him from this church that is living in jail with him, doesn't have to be there, but that this church is sent to hang out with Paul and make sure Paul has everything he needs. They're very, very closely tied. And then the message that, you know what I'm saying, drips out of this, just just pours out of it, if you'll let it, is that it tells us how to live all things Christ. That there is a way to live as mature Christians and there's a way to grow as mature Christians and we're called to do it. And Paul is encouraging people to move past wherever they are into a deeper, more rich relationship with Christ. How many guys could use a more rich, a deeper relationship with Christ? How many guys yearn for that? I know I do. Man, these last couple weeks in Philippians, my heart has just been torn open just hoping for this kind of relationship that I'm reading in here. And, and, I, and I hope you guys get this, because I'm only going to share just such an opening of Philippians. And I hope you guys go home and, and tear into this a little bit, because it will, it will encourage you to do some things that I don't even think you think is possible at first. Um, what I want to talk about first, before I move on to, to more Philippians, is how this church started. So if you'll keep your finger right here in Philippians, or um, I don't know how you do that with an electronic phone, but, and flip to Acts 16. Okay, we're going to move to Acts 16. Because in Acts 16, you get to hear how this church started. And the very way this church started is going to determine how, how, what they become, who they are, um, why Paul is so in love with this church. So let's turn to Acts 16. Um, the very first thing I want to start with in Acts 16 is this. Um, the very fact that Paul is there is an act of God. Okay? Paul had no intention of coming to this town. As far as we know, he had planned to be uh, in Asia for a long time. Most of his missionary trip had been planned to be in Asia, and it wasn't working out. God was closing door after door after door after door. His missionary trip up to this point, probably he was feeling like he was a failure. And I think that's important. Because sometimes on our walk with God, we feel like we don't know what's going on. And, 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 and we're tied in and we feel like we're doing what God wants us to, but the doors keep slamming in our face anyways. And, and the first message I get from this is Paul keeps going. And sometimes we just have to keep going because God has a plan and there's a reasoning and a timing behind it and we can't see it. So Paul's uh, uh, trying to go to this city. He falls asleep. He has a dream and a, a man from... Uh, this city says, come to us in this dream. We need you, come to us. And Paul is in touch with God, so he feels like this is a message from God, and he goes to this city and country, and he goes to Philippi. And when he, when he goes to Philippi, uh, this is what we, we see. So I'm going to pick it up in 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. I think that's how you say that. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi. So So get this, not only... Is he following God? This is a difficult trip. It's a long trip. He's going from city to city to get to where he needs to go. So 
this is not an easy thing for Paul to do. I, I need you to hear that in all this. And I think sometimes when we don't do the easy things, we miss out on some of the amazing rewards that come with hard work. Sometimes we think this is just too hard or I can't do this. I give up. It's, it's over. And Paul pushes through and he's going to be rewarded with a relationship with a church that, that supports him, that loves him, that takes care of him, that makes all, a lot of his other missionary trips possible. Okay? So sometimes we just got to push through. Um, from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. So Paul goes, hey, I'm supposed to be here. Let's go see um, if anybody's praying and, like, jump in. Uh, I'll just say, hey, I'm Paul, and I have, you know, some stuff to tell you. And, and he goes down to this riverbank ba- looking for a prayer group or a Bible study of some sort, something going on that he can jump into and, and, and get started with his missionary work. And it goes this. One of them was Lydia a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. Uh, As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with the other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I may true believe in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home and she urged us until we agreed. So Paul runs into this lady named Lydia. And Lydia is, just so you know, probably from Asia. Uh, She is a very, very, very successful businesswoman, CEO of this cloth company, uh, uh, back then, if you could deal in, in silks and cloth and, and stuff of color, it, it was very, very lucrative, very, very profitable. This is an intellectual. She is a thinker. We know she's down there already kind of reading and trying to figure out the Bible for herself. That in itself is astounding. She's rich. She has servants. She has house. She has money. And yet she's trying to figure something else out because it, it is obviously not doing enough for her. And so she is sitting there seeking something, and she's reading the scriptures and trying to find out what they mean, and here comes Paul. And Paul sees her and starts talking with her, and they go back and forth. I see it as like a coffee house talk. You know, they sit down with their intellectuals. You know, maybe somebody's got a scarf on. I don't know. Um, It just seems like that to me, okay? They've got coffee, probably something kind of fancy, you know, that's like $5 a cup or whatever, five, I don't know, whatever they had back then, um, okay, pieces of silver, I don't know, okay, as long as it's not 30, all right, so as, as they're drinking their coffee, they're having this intellectual conversation, people around, they're chiming in, and Paul is step by step going through the gospel, and he's saying, hey, you don't understand this, let me show you where this comes from, this goes all the way back to Abraham, or, or maybe this is something that David taught us, and, and let me show you how this all connects together, and comes together in the person of Christ, because if you're reading this and you don't have Christ, this is useless. You with me? The Old Testament points to Christ. The New Testament points back to Christ. Without Christ, this, is complete, this makes no sense. And that's what Lydia's missing. She's missing the defense of Christ. She's missing the explanation of Christ. And Paul says, let me show you what I know. So I love this because as, as Paul goes and starts this church, he's ready with an answer. He has a defense. He knows what's in here. He knows how to show Christ, to explain Christ to someone who has deep questions, which means he has spent a lot of time thinking about this, a lot of time reading this, a lot of time in this, and he's ready. I love that, okay, because we're told that. Be ready. Be ready for a defense in case someone comes asking. 
and Paul is ready. And because of it, this lady, not only this lady comes to Christ, she takes him back to her house and everyone, every servant, every kid, everybody that's involved with that household comes to Christ and is baptized. What we're going to find about Lydia is she eventually becomes a major supporter of Paul. She's mentioned in other books. Hey, thanks for the money, Lydia. It really helped. She buys into this so much, she backs it with her bankroll, which is substantial. But it's all because Paul was ready for an answer when it was needed, and he could talk with the intellectuals. But that's not all we're going to see here, okay? We're going to move on a little bit, okay? Ted hates it when I do that. All right. I'm trying to find I just lost my place. Sorry about that. Okay, there it is. Okay. So, that's why I lost my place, because I'm in Acts 16. Sorry about that. All right. So, um, one day we were going down in 16. We'll start here. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller, and catch on this last part, it's important, who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. I love this verse. This went on day after day until Paul got frustrated. Could you imagine? You're here trying to preach, and there's this crazy, I mean, probably drugged out, insane girl following you around. Servants of the Most High God right here. These guys, servants, I mean, you're trying to say something, all you hear is, servants of the Most High God. I mean, it sounds cool at first. You like the billing, but you can't get anything done because this lady is following you around. I don't know if she's mocking him or, or if she's just so enthralled with what they're saying that she can't shut up, but she doesn't stop. And finally, Paul just is like, oh, you're driving me crazy. Uh, demon, come out of her. Whoa, <laughs> that's fairly bold, Paul. <laughs> you know, you're frustrated, so you cast out a demon. Um, not what I usually do when I'm frustrated, but okay. All right? No, he doesn't say go away. He doesn't say leave me alone. He doesn't call the authorities. He doesn't turn her into rehab. This is really, really cool. The Holy Spirit in Paul comes alive here and says, Paul, you got a problem here. Deal with it my way. And Paul casts out a demon, and this girl comes to Christ. There's problems that are going to revolve around this. It's going to cost Paul. In about five seconds, it's going to cost Paul. But he doesn't stop. See, in this day and age, I think sometimes we think the Holy Spirit's dead. I don't think we think we can heal anymore or, or, or that we can cast out demons anymore. That doesn't happen somehow. Man, I think the Holy Spirit needs to be alive in us more than it's ever needed to be. Look around. How many hurting people out there need something more supernatural than we can provide? Is God big enough to cast out demons still? Sure he is. Is God big enough to heal people? You bet. But we have stopped. We've, we've kind of walled in and said, Holy Spirit, hold up. That's uncomfortable. Sorry. People think I'm weird. I cast out demons. Okay, they're going to sue me. Right? And, and this is exactly, funny enough, what's going to happen to Paul. This is, Paul is going to get arrested over this. Paul is going to get beaten by a lot of people, not just one or two over this. He doesn't hesitate. See, with Lydia, he knew he had to have an answer. He had to be able to explain it. He had to be able to understand it. With this girl, he knew it was something completely different. 
no amount of explanations, no amount of rehab, no amount of, of, of talking it out, no amount, amount of coffee was going to fix this. He couldn't just be there for her. God had to do something miraculous, and he does it through Paul, and Paul doesn't hesitate. Now, he's a little frustrated. I'm not sure how that all fits in, but he doesn't hesitate. When the Holy Spirit says move, he moves. So Paul is willing to let the Holy Spirit be alive in him. He's willing not to shut him down. He's willing not to say, no, not me, use someone else. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm in you, and you're here right now. Do something. I think we've got a people group still today calling out for people to be more than just there for them, but to let God work through us in their lives. Now, catch this. Paul has <laughs> been having a heck of a mission trip. He goes to Asia. It doesn't work. He gets called by a huge dream to come, and, it's, and at first he, Lydia gets saved. Now this slave girl, a demon, gets cast out, and he's thinking, hey, this is going good, and it's about to turn on him. Okay, if we keep going... Um, her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly forms against Paul and Silas, and the city officials order them stripped and beaten. They're severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they don't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now, let me draw this picture for you. (sighs) Could you imagine? You're seeing miracles happen. You're seeing people come to Christ, and your reward for that is to be stripped naked, which is humiliating enough, and then beaten within an inch of your life by not one, but a mob. You guys ever been around a mob anything? Mobs get out of control real quick, don't they? There's not like, hey, you're beating him too much. Slow down. We got all day. It's not like that. Okay? It's not like they're thinking this through. Okay? They are beating them. Paul and Silas are probably getting dragged out of there just in time to save their lives. Somebody's probably realizing, hey, we've gone way too far. Stop. Let's put these guys in jail and get them out of here before we get in trouble for what we've done to these men. And they don't even know that Paul's a Roman citizen, which is a big deal, but... They're scared. You know, they get to a point where they've beaten them so bad, I think they're scared, and they throw them in jail. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm like, this stinks. First, my mission trip's not going well. Then I come here, and it starts to go well, and I'm beat and stripped, and I'm done. And then it gets worse, okay, because we hear putting stocks, and I think when we hear putting stocks, we think of, like, those pictures we get from, like, early America where, like, they have their hands in, their feet in, and they're like, like ah. and people are throwing fruit at them or whatever. Okay, it looks uncomfortable, but this is not what we're talking about. The Roman stocks were, were an instrument of torture. What they would do is they would bend you into the weirdest shapes they could bend you into until you were just in that. You know how when you get bent into a weird shape or you're trying to do something, and all of a sudden you get that little back cramp, you're like, oh, and it feels like you're going to die? You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, I'm going to die. For, even though you've never even come close to dying from a cramp in your entire life, you're convinced that this cramp is going to be the one that kills you, Right? And you're like, oh, if I could just, ah, oh, you can't even reach it. And then, like, somebody comes to touch you, like, don't touch it. It hurts. Right? This is the position they get you in. They get you to that point, and then they lock you in it. So you can't touch it, you can't stretch it, you can't move it, and they leave you there. They just shut the door and say, see ya. So Paul and Silas are bent into an unimaginable shape, and they're locked into that shape, and now they're hurting. They are physically 
hurting. They've been beaten. They've been tortured. They already muscles were probably sore and aching from what they went through. And now they're locked and contorted into shapes that make no sense. And they're left, as far as they know, to rot and die in prison. How many of you guys are very anxious at this point to share the gospel? Right? That's the first thing that goes through my mind. Hey, this is horrible. Let's just talk about God. <laughs> Make it better. You know, I'm angry. I'm, I'm upset. I'm probably cursing the people that put me in there. I don't know that I'm to the point yet where I can do what Paul and Silas do. They start singing worship songs. Now, maybe Chris would go there. But not me. It's not where I go, but that's what Paul and, and Silas start doing. They start worshiping God. They start saying, hey, whatever it is we're here for, God's got a purpose. God's got a reason. We'll just worship him and trust him. And they start worshiping. And I think they start sharing with each other things about God that has got them this far and things they can hang on to. And in their worst moment, they still are an example of what Christians should be. They don't falter. They don't stop being Christians in that moment. It's not like, hey, it's good we'll be Christians. It's bad we won't be. No, they light up even more because in their worst, they're determined to cling on to God because that's all they've got. Now watch what happens. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Don't get it, but that's what they're doing. And other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there's a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Okay, now this is where I go. You know what? I've somehow managed to sing and praise God and there's an earthquake and God has delivered me. I'm out of there. God, it's a miracle. You've released me. I'm done. Boop, gone. Okay, not going to catch me. (laughs) All right, I'm gone. As fast as I can run naked and beaten and coming out of a severe cramp. All right, I'm gone. And the jailer is thinking this exact thing. Now let's talk about the jailer for a second. The jailer is your blue... You could not have three different people in this passage. You have Lydia, who's the intellectual, rich, CEO, got everything together. You've got the crazy drug addict, fortune teller, Wiccan girl, slave girl, enslaved, lost, demon-possessed. And now you've got this jailer. Now, this jailer is an interesting guy. He is duty-bound. His sense of honor is immense. He probably was an ex-Roman soldier. And he's now living out his retirement years, running this jail. And he runs it right. The things that are supposed to be done, get done. He's your blue-collar, everyday Joe, going back and forth to work. And he believes in what he does. And this happens, and he's about ready to kill himself. He pulls out his sword and is about to fall on it, because he would rather die than not do his, his honor-bound duty. We cannot be talking about three, different, three more different people here. And Paul says, wait, we're all here. Come again? We're all here? Paul didn't just stay. He convinced everyone else to stay. Not just Paul and Silas, not just the guys that God called. Somehow Paul has gotten the entire prison to stay. This blows my mind. And the jailer, the jailer says what he says. I have to read to you word for word because it, it's just crazy. Paul shouted, stop, don't kill himself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, and fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? Oh my goodness. Guys, do you know what it means that when we don't think anybody's watching in the worst of circumstances to still follow Christ? That no matter when we think about it or how we do it, God's going to use that so people see it and come to Christ? This jailer comes to Christ because for the first time in his life, he's probably shown what it really means to serve Christ. These guys are beaten and tortured and they're singing to God and he's hearing it. And when, and when they're supposed to run away and get away, they stay. And something in, this, in his mind clicks and says, I don't know what you serve but I've been duty-bound my whole life to this system. And it's nothing like what you're duty-bound to. I want to have bound to that because that's something more than I have. So he is shown what it's like to follow Christ unquestionably, and he gets it. He says, man, that's what I've been looking for, a system I can give all my life to, a system that I can hand over and know that I am not going to be let down and I'm going to be taken care of and that this person is worthy to serve. Tell me who it is you serve. Tell me what I must do to be saved. Wow. Man, what what stands out to me here is Paul's ability to be whatever is needed in whatever situation. Later they're going to ask him, what do you do? And he says, man, I am all things to all men. I am whatever is needed to get the job done and the job is the glory of Christ. And I start running my head through this and I start thinking, how do I mature to that? How do I, as a Christian, get to the point where I'm following Christ so deeply that in all situations, I'm looking to be Christ to everyone I see? Whether, whether I'm sitting down over coffee, which I love to do. If you guys ever want to sit over coffee with me and discuss the Bible, it is probably one of my favorite things to do. Okay? I, I can't really, I've had my crazy parts in life, so I can look back at that slave girl and remember my life how it used to be and how lost and how crazy and how out of control my life was. And I was so glad that there were people in, like Paul in my life that were willing to invest in me and pray over me and pray with me. Because guys, prayer is supernatural. If you don't believe that, you don't understand it. That's when God, we ask God to get involved. And people did that in my life. And because of what they did, now I get to stand here and preach the word of God? Oh, my goodness. And then I think, what about the times when I'm not serving Christ, when I don't feel like serving Christ, when things aren't going right, when I'm doing everything God's asking me to and it's still falling apart and how frustrated I get and how I just want to, like, grab somebody sometimes and be like, you will love Jesus or I will not stop this. (laughs) You know, I can't do that. I've never done it. In my head, a couple times, not going to lie. All right, not going to call anybody out right now. It might be sitting in this room. All right, um, name Gage. No, just kidding, Gage. All right, um, so, no, I was kidding. I'm kidding. So, and I think to myself, what would it take? And this happens to, guys, this has been happening to me for three weeks. I will get to a point where I'm, I'm thinking, I want to be like Paul where things, I'm doing everything right and it's not working how I'm supposed to and I'm still going to praise God and I'm still going to keep relationship and I'm still going to follow and I fail. 
And I say, okay, I got I to fix this. I got to do this right. And it's changing my life because now I'm looking at people completely different. Instead of looking at people and saying, well, they have to conform to what I'm trying to tell them. No, I have to conform to what they need. And that is a maturing Christian. And that is what I'm going to continue to work on. As I read through Philippians, I'm like, this is what I need to do. I need to conform to what people need. I need to stop thinking they're going to conform to my message. And it changes how I look at people. It changes how I see things. Man, listen to what Paul says in Philippians after this. Oh my goodness, this is going to kill you. If you don't know this verse, you need to. Philippians 1.21. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. Come again, Paul. Dying is better Living is Christ. To me, it seems like dying. And I get this. I want to say this backwards all the time, and I do sometimes. Dying seems like Christ to me. Dying means I get to go to be with Christ. Well, I'm living here. I'm going to do all I can to make this life great. And Paul says, no, you're backwards. I can do, uh, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Think about this. Really, if we really had to get down to it, what we really believe, do we really believe that heaven's going to be better than this? Because we cling to this so hard sometimes. Don't we? Do we really live with a vision for the fact that heaven is going to be better than this because we're going to be daily with Christ? Our hope will finally be satisfied. Our faith will finally be justified. Our hurts, our pains, temptation will be gone. Man, yeah, I'm starting to see what Paul's saying. Yeah, take me now, Jesus. I'm with you. Paul, let's go. You want to get a busload up? I'm in. And Paul says, but if I'm here, as long as God remains set on me being here and not taking me home to be him, then I have work to do, and it's you. To go home would be far better. To go home would be far, far better. But as long as I've got work to do here, I'm going to do it, and it's you. And so Paul turns what we believe in the world upside down. It's not about us. Our salvation, our lives, everything that God does for us is not about us. It's for us. And eventually one day we're going to be able to go to heaven and revel in that. But while we're here... It's about the person sitting next to you. It's about the person that you're going to walk to one day and say, hey, I'd like that large type coffee. What do you call that? A vente? I'll take one of those. And talking to that person is more than someone who just fills your coffee cup. Because maybe that person is an intellectual and would love to sit with you over that very cup of coffee that they poured and talk to you about what they believe and what they're missing. And you should be ready with an answer and say, it's Christ. And maybe you know some people in your life that are just out of control. And literally the only thing you can do at this point is drop to your knees and pray every day that God does something beyond what you're capable of. And I know a bunch of us in here know some blue-collar guys that are looking for something worthy of serving. 
God's saying, are you going to look out there? Are you going to see these people? Are you going to acknowledge that they exist? And are you going to realize that's the purpose I have for you here is to reach those people so they know the full glory of Christ and themselves can also be saved? So one day when you're standing in heaven, they will be there with you? And I start to think, no, I didn't get that. But I'm starting to. And it changes your life. The people you were frustrated with, the people you don't want to talk to, the people you want to sign off on. You don't have to anymore. Not only do you not have to, you're supposed to act the complete opposite direction. And I start thinking, this is what I want my life to be about. And guys, I tell you, this next verse I'm going to read with you, I'm going to finish with this. It's the very verse we build our high school group on. It's the theme of our high school group. If you don't know why we call high school 127, this is the verse, Philippians 127, that we base it on. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, the gospel of Christ is I came to save you and gave up everything to do it. I didn't have to. I did it because I love you. Is, uh, Paul says, are you living a, a life worthy of that? Because you can. Not... And he goes on, he goes, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit together with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, if you look in this room, there's 100 plus people in here, maybe even 200. I don't know, I can't see. Okay. Um, oh, now I can. That's cool. Didn't know I could do that. All right. Um, sorry, I get distracted. Rabbit trail. All right. So think about this. What if we strived together as one mind one body, one spirit, all with the same goal of reaching every single person that God puts in our path. See, I've seen that. I've seen this church do that. I've seen this church reach out to families that were hurting and love them with no motive other than just say, you're hurting, we love you. That's it. And I've watched those families come to Christ because of it. I know we can do it. But it's so easy just to reach the ones that are like us, isn't it? Isn't it so easy to reach out to those people that are just the same as us? See, Paul didn't stop there. He reached out to the intellectual. He reached out to the crazy, possessed girl. He reached out to the blue collar. Whoever God put in his path, he was ready to talk about. So this is my challenge, and I'm done. No, I'm not done, but for now. Okay. When you go home today, list out all the people you do life with that aren't believers. If you're not a believer, go up to somebody and say, I'd like to be on your list because I'd like to know more. Start looking at all the people in your life who are not believers. Start praying for them and for your heart to be about them knowing Christ. Not just knowing them, not just loving them, but that you're going to be ready when God calls on you to tell them with whatever they need. And it might be through action. It might be through discussion. It might just be in the way you live but that your heart is prepared to work for them. And then this, man, this is mine. This is my prayer, guys. This is where I'm at right now. Pray that God lets you see that there is no one who is outside of God's power to rescue and save, not one. That we don't look at somebody and say, no, they're gone. Because God can save a demon-possessed slave girl. God can save a CEO that's running a multi-million dollar company and consumed with what she's doing. And God can save the average worker. 
There is no one, not one person outside God's ability to reach. And if you're sitting in here and you don't know Christ, trust me, you are not out of his thoughts. You are not out of his ability to save. There is nothing he can't reach. Guys, we can do this. But I will tell you, it's not easy. I'm still working through this myself. But man, has it been fun. <laughs> right? God's like, nope. I'm like, dang it, I messed it up again. And I start to do it again. I do good for a little bit, and I mess it up. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm working on it. See, God, the beautiful part about this is we are the Lydia's. We are the slave girls. We are the jailers. We were those people. And that's who Paul's writing to and saying, you can do this. You know where these people came from. You were these people. And I say the same thing to you. You can do this. You were Lydia. You were the jailer. You were the slave girl. So reach out to them because they need to hear from us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. Um, God, I thank you for the book of Philippians and Paul. Um, It's so amazing how a book of the Bible can grab a hold of you and change you. And God, I pray that Philippians does that for us. I pray that we get into it even deeper, go further with it. And God, that we start as a church reaching to those that are lost, regardless of where they are, who they are, how lost they are. God, thank you for everything you do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.